0: Once again, a big thanks to the guys on the Brecky Show. But now, as it is every Thursday morning here on 2SER, it's time for Discovery, the national science show. And this week, we'll be poking our noses into why we laugh, cryptobiology, and whatever else we can put together. Stick around.
1: Hello and welcome. 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 Stand and welcome. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Discovery. 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 Listen to Discovery. Discovery. (gasps) Discovery.
0: Discovery.
2: Sounds like a lot of fun. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now.
1: Now to the speeded up brain of the user, that sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. Discovery. Yeah.
0: And once again, welcome to Discovery, bringing you more science than you can poke a stick at. I'm Matthew Clark, and this week we'll be putting on the lab coats to investigate a couple of interesting topics like cryptobiology, the study of make-believe animals, and the reasons why we laugh, plus whatever else we feel like to fill up half an hour. But before we can get to any of that, here's your weekly Discovery science news. United States Secret Service has admitted to working with major printer manufacturers to secretly code every single colour printout for the last 10 years. Claims of this practice were first raised in PC World last year, however it's taken until now for the Secret Service and the manufacturers to come clean. Internet privacy organisations say they have managed to crack the code which appears on all printouts on all Xerox printers and are currently working on other brands. The codes appear as tiny yellow dots, which are almost impossible to see with the naked eye, but if the page is viewed with a blue light under magnification, they appear black and their pattern can be clearly seen. The unique pattern of dots on each page reveals the serial number of the printer, as well as the date and time of the print. Mr. Schoen from the Foundation says the information could be a threat to people who live under repressive regimes or had a legitimate need for privacy. He said it reminded him of a Soviet Union program to record sample typewriter printouts to track the origins of underground self-published literature. The Secret Service maintains that these measures are to stop people counterfeiting money with high-quality color printers. In coming weeks, Discovery will provide a more in-depth look at this practice. It's been revealed that Greenland's ice cap is actually growing thicker, contrary to recent concerns that it has been thawing due to global warming. Professor Ola Johansson at the Nansen Environmental Remote Sensing Centre in Norway has found that the overall ice thickness changes are approximately 5 centimetres a year, or 54 centimetres over 11 years. However, he also states that the thickening seems consistent with theories of global warming. Even if it is still below freezing, warmer air will hold more moisture, which will then cause more snow to fall, which in turn thickens the ice cap.
2: the ears of a cricket are located on its front legs, just below the knee? Discovery, the radio show that tackles the big issues in science, and quite a few sub-microscopic ones as well. Discovery delves deep into what makes the world tick, bringing you the latest, greatest and weirdest in science from around the world. We don't care if your ears are on your front legs, as long as you tune into Discovery, heard on community radio across Australia by the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia.
0: An Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman walk into a bar. Actually, I won't finish that one. But Jackie, I believe you've been looking into uh, the reasons why we laugh. And um,
3: also- yeah, well, I've, in an effort or in an effort rather, last night to avoid studying, I came across a really great website called HowStuffWorks.com.
0: I've been there before. Many yeah, great isn't it brilliant?
3: Well, I came across. Um, they've got an article in there as to why people laugh. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I just thought laughing was pretty much natural and, you know, everyday process. Now, there's no science in that. But, you know, the more you think about it, it's a physiological process. So, it's, you know, a bit of biology there, a bit of human physiology. Mm -hmm. And here's a bit of an info for you. The science, or rather the study of laughing, is called gelatology.
0: There's a name for everything.
3: There is. So, there you go. Gelatology, ladies and gentlemen at home. Now, it's not pop- the
0: study of, of jelly?
3: No. I don't know what the study of jelly is, but that's I'm sure, maybe I'm sh- we could sure That would be jello technology. Jello technology. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, obviously everybody recognises what laughing is. You know, sound comes out, funny gestures. But did you know that humans are one of the only species that laugh? I know there's a lot of animals that sound like they laugh, but they're not really laughing at anything. It's just sort of a sound that they like
0: make. Hyenas, kookaburras. Kookaburras, yeah.
3: <laughs> Now, what happens when we laugh is that most actions or emotions that we have have a certain brain area or certain point in the brain which controls that thing. But a human research, a humour researcher, sorry, by the name of Peter Dirks, has studied the role of laughing by hooking people up to what's called an electroencephalograph. And what he found was it sounds
0: that- like it's going to monitor um, something else, bit, bit nastier than,
1: than laughing.
3: <laughs> yeah, but- it's a bit. Fit to wrap your mouth around, electroencephalograph. So what Mr. Dirks found was that all of the different processes from hearing the joke to determining if it's funny or not, this all occurs in different parts of the brain. And what what happens is the main part of the brain or the largest part of the brain called the cerebral cortex is Mm -hmm. where all this stuff happens. So once we hear a joke, the different words, they get processed in the left-hand side of this cortex. Then they, you know... the right hand side of our brain sits down and it analyzes the joke. So that's the part where, you know, the light bulb upstairs flashes on and we go, "Ah, oh, got the joke now." Then it sends brain waves to the back of our head and it arouses a reaction in our body. And we either laugh if the brain thinks it's a funny joke or, you know, if thought, "Hey, that's a pretty poor joke," then we act accordingly, which brings me to our next point. What makes a good or a bad joke? Now, I'm not sure if the joke that Matt was going to tell us earlier was any good or not. But anyway, well, what we find funny, it all depends on sort of what age we are and on our different social situations. So, you know, something that amuses a five-year-old is going to amuse, amuse, you know, well, it's not going to amuse somebody who's sort of 25. Sort of all depends on, you know, what you see, what's funny, you know, the intelligence there, whether you want a smart joke, whether you want a crude joke. It also depends on society. Now, there's three reasons why we laugh or three theories as to why we laugh. They're called the incongruity theory. And this is where, you know, we sit down and we start to hear a joke and we think, oh, I know what's coming on here. I know what's coming. And then something completely out of left field, you know, comes Mm -hmm. up and we think, oh, didn't see that coming. That's funny. The next one is called the superiority theory. So if you see somebody fall over and you think, oh, I'm better than them, have a bit of a laugh. It's
0: funny because it's not me.
3: Yes, that's exactly right. All your funniest home video stuff Mm. there. And then the third is called the relief theory. So, you know, if you've been in a tense moment or, you know, you just need to let out some of that built-up stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on there and just go, oh, release it all. So they're sort of your three reasons why you laugh.
2: Can I just ask, what about laughing because your boss said a joke, which is not funny at all, but you have to?
3: Ah, but see, that would be the superiority theory. Those who are superior can sort of control, (laughs) you know, the social thing that's going on. Not the brown-nosing theory? could, could be the brown nosing the theory, jokes. yes, but um.
0: But was he saying that uh, you have one part of the brain that actually uh, takes in the joke, like the sensory mm-hmm. audio visuals, and then another part actually analyzes it to say if it's funny? Yeah. What...
3: Yeah. So it's your brain sending all of these different messages all around the place, which is really different to all of our different emotions, which sort of happen all in in one place. Mm-hmm. So. it's... Jokes are a pretty complex thing. If you ever sat down and tried to write a funny joke, imagine what your brain's going through just to comprehend it. Now, of course, you know, there's all these different myths behind laughing. You know, that laughing's good for our health, which is true. It does actually help our immune system.
0: Well, they have um, there's laughter clubs
3: yeah, and around the
0: place. I've, I've seen those.
3: Yeah. There's a lot of doctors who, who believe in laughing to help patients and things, and laugh doctors and whatever else, which looks like a lot of fun.
0: So they're getting prescriptions for uh, 60 minutes of Simpsons or... Yeah.
3: <laughs> all those class clowns mm. who are told that they'd never make it through med, you know, mm. taking a different spin on the world.
0: Take two Seinfelds and call me in the morning.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, con- laughter is contagious, which you've all probably heard the myth. Now, there's a guy called Robert Provine, who is a, be- a behavioural neurobiologist now, he thinks that the brain recognises laughter. And so where where it recognises it in the part of the brain, it stimulates other parts of the brain, which then cause you to laugh, so, which is why it's kind of contagious. could also be, you know, like you said before, Sam, you, your boss is laughing and you think, oh, I better laugh at that if I want that raise next week. But yeah, so, and, you know, your relief theory also comes into that as well. You know, other people start to laugh and you're like, oh, now I can laugh, now I feel comfortable. So... You know, it was a really interesting article, actually. Lots of cool stuff, lots of brains and physical and social <laughs> issues that are going into everybody laughing him. So I really enjoyed it. And this is a really good website if anybody wants to check it out. It was http... dot, dot, slash, slash, whatever it is. It's science.howstuffworks.com It goes into other stuff like how spud guns work and fireworks work and what's, you know, the science behind rainbows. Now, I actually found something really ironic on this site. You know how a lot of sites have different links to, you know, things Mm. that sort of correspond with their subject matter. You mentioned Seinfeld before. It does actually have a link to Seinfeld (laughs) there. And, you know, oh, here's a good example of a comedy. What I found funny was one of the pages actually had a link to seek.com, the the big, you know, um, Mm. job advertisement website. But it was, you know, for your best psychology jobs, seek. And I was like, okay, so (laughs) apparently if you want to have a good laugh, you know, you've got to go and seek psychiatric help. Apparently. And then I got thinking, so hang on. Surely there's got to be a longest laugh or a highest pitched laugh or, you know, some kind of world record. Guinness Book of World Records doesn't actually have any. Mm. Yeah, can you believe that one? So if there's anybody at home who can, you know, answer whether there is a longest laugh or a highest pitched laugh or has any other funny kind of laugh or gelatological facts, (laughs) (laughs) why don't you give us a line, you know, Send us an email at discovery at because we'd love to hear them.
0: There we go. We're laughing our way into the record books.
1: Serve it, and be observant, the fact that sea pods produce fruit, eventually must loot, can be the booty, wickedly some seeds be planted attitudes, slanted, and candidly you can see me, so discern, but don't judge too harshly, the rule is not for us, seeds be sprouting, paper licks, making it take for kicks, and even if the rifle right collides, so sow, so and seeds. so some seed for please. so he sews until he sees, some seed that breed, obviously are so in the one place, he got trouble for asking, all the eggs being in the one basket, those will select the plot, and they will scatter the lot, in order to bubble the crops on top, in Points down, so is choose the place until the spot is found to reap with pace. Imagine slinging seeds down beside a road, imagine birds eating them up quick and boots crushing husks. Or if you spill the pellets on a soil this rock eats some spouse me out, but a water's cloudy and the whip. like some slunk in the thorny spots. Yeah, the grow, I know that. The thorns will grow and choke a lot. Finally, I've been thinking about the seeds in the richer state, no spoiler the crop will grow a hundred times as great. seed is the word, the seed is the word.
0: And that was John Blake with Brain Food. Now, coming up, we got Sam, and I believe uh, we'll be going to be chatting about crypto biology.
2: Ah, well, I can see you're taking me seriously already. (laughs) Um, No, cryptozoology with a Ah. Z, and cryptozoology is the study of rumored animals that are presumed to exist. But ah. for which no conclusive proof has yet been um, found. What That's type cool.
0: of what type of animals? So, unicorns.
2: Well, yes, unicorns are an example. They are not a widely researched example, but mm-hmm. other other famous monster type examples include your Yetis, Bigfoots, mm-hmm. Loch Ness monsters,
0: Lithgow Panther.
2: Yes, <laughs> but there are also many other examples which are. Um, animals that used to exist but which are presumed exin- extinct and there's also weird animals which were from native legends etc mm-hmm. that western science has just dismissed and that have people have gone back and later found out that they correspond to real animals Ooh. Um, one big example of that would be the giant squid which is recently yes. been seen um, giant squids have uh, been known for a long time uh, carcasses have been washing up for mm-hmm. a couple of hundred years but previous to that, there are many stories ancient legends of Krakens and yes. monsters that attack ships from the oceans
0: yes there was a there was a, a famous story it was it eighteen oh, I can't remember in the late 1800s of a um of a ship being attacked by a um a massive squid well but it, of course no evidences
2: the first um, giant squid observation um, was eighteen seventy three when one attacked a uh, a man and a boy in a small boat. Right. Um, and later on in that period, later on, about five years later, um, one of the carcasses washed up on shore. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the,
0: the guy goes, see, I wasn't drunk.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, um, he was a minister, so ah. uh, a minister and a small boy. Um, <laughs> this was a long time ago. Um, uh, lots, uh, Lots of... Giant squids actually tend to wash up around Newfoundland and New Zealand.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was going to say New Zealand gets a, a fair few. They also um, wind up in fishing nets, don't they? The trawlers sometimes um, get them in.
3: Yes. Imagine putting one of those up in your nets. That'd be like a year's worth of calamari all in one go. Well, you can't actually eat them.
2: Ah. They, um, they're giant squids, actually, um, most fish um, in order to. Um, Maintain their buoyancy with mm. their local environment. Have an internal um, sort of gas well chamber, but
0: mm, not like the swim bladder bits. Yeah, but yeah.
2: <laughs> that um, basically decides how whether they go up or down. Yes, the giant squid, however, um, along with other types of squids, uses uh, ammonia in its blood Ooh. Um, to decide. So we can't actually eat them, but there are animals that do. Like the sperm whale. Yes. I believe sperm whales have um been pulled up with big tentacle marks on the side of them. Mm. Ah.
0: But Look, normal normal squid don't have or well, the squid that you, you go and eat down the fish and chip shop, they don't have ammonia in or is it no, washed the out somehow? Or?
2: They they don't. Only the uh only, only, the really spe- only specific guys. species and the yeah, the big ones.
0: Do they know how they produce the ammonia to
2: I uh, I wouldn't know. Wow. Um so there are big famous examples like the Loch Ness Monster which Mm -hmm. some have said may have been well not the Loch Ness Monster specifically but other sea serpents as well have been rumoured to be have thought to be um, giant squids which were uh, uh, misidentified and um,
3: you mentioned some other creatures back there I think it was a yeti and a sasquatch
2: yes they're Bigfoot um, and sasquatches they're very common in uh, America, and also there's a... I think it's a Yeren or Yoren, um, with terrible pronunciation, in China. And the Yeti, obviously, the abominable snowman. Mm. Creatures that are, appear like men that have fur and um, are large and solitary creatures. There's um a, uh, a $1 million reward has been offered for... Uh, photographs that lead to the live capture of these creatures by a um, a university in the United States, so if you 've seen possibly a Bunyip or
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know the thing that makes me skeptical about the existence of, of these types of creatures is when uh, in, on September eleven when the, the the planes hit the hit the building within five minutes. We saw about fifty different replays from fifty different camera angles from people who had video cameras. Um, yes, but these, why isn't that this the same? Why why isn't there just footage of everywhere?
2: If these creatures lived in the middle of New York, I imagine they would have been found.
1: <laughs> yes, but,
0: but there's, these there's more cameras than ever before. People have them. Everyone has a camera on their phone. Everyone has a camera on.
2: But you don't necessarily take it when you go hiking or camping, or and these mm. generally basically generally when you find a new creature the reason you find it and it's considered new is that it's in a remote area or there's reasons why it hasn't been found to date um
3: maybe these mythical or not so mythical creatures are like well beyond our understanding and can can detect cameras and just stay away from them
0: (laughs) camera detecting giant squid
2: yes cryptozoology has in the past not been taken seriously because of various fringe cryptozoologists that have pointed to supernatural explanations um,
3: So cryptozoologists they obviously sitting there studying these different supposedly mythical creatures do they sit down and discuss what kind of habitats or you know optional habitats you know a mythical creature might like to live in or what, what kind of food they'd eat?
2: Generally yes well the, the, generally the searches is to look at areas that are remote, mm-hmm. areas that haven't been really investigated thoroughly. And it's not just the monster ones that get all the um, excited, have the, all the exciting stories, but other animals, like, for instance, um, in another Australian one is the platypus. The first time the platypus was discovered, they sent a carcass, mm. well, a pelt back to England, and they thought it was a hoax. Um, it wasn't until they came back and investigated it again that they accepted it.
0: And do these, uh, the, do the cryptozoologists? Uh, do they get uh, laughed at by the um, by the other scientists doing um, in inverted commas, real science?
2: <laughs> Sometimes I imagine some must. Mm.
3: It sounds like a pretty cool discipline to be in. Though, imagine having that cryptos, crypto cryptozoologist on your business card, and then people sit down and ask you what it is, and just wait for people's reaction.
0: It'd be a it'd be a tough one to get funding for. Imagine mm. fronting up to the to the, the funding hearing. I'm looking for unicorns, <laughs> and I'd like $100,000.
2: Well, a lot of cryptozoologists are other, um, have other professions as well. And um, the uh, International Society of Cryptozoology um, describes it as an interdiscipl- interdisciplinary science. Um, they, the Cryptozoology, the journal published by the International Society of Cryptozoology, um publishes articles of relevance to cryptozoology on mm. psychology um uh biology of course and f- folklorists etc so it's, it's considered a, a many disciplines contribute to the to cryptozoology um some of the some of the big discoveries that were thought um that kind of point to the possibility of existence of animals large vertebrate animals mm-hmm. um, as lots of invertebrate animals are found all the time um, the for instance uh, the mountain gorillas um, which were found um, very late like a 150 years or so ago um, a, a spe- a, admittedly gorillas were found before then but the mountain gorillas themselves a subspecies um, existed only in a small um, mountain range mm-hmm. and so they were not documented for ages and gorillas are quite large and they existed in large groups several hundred or so um,
0: well there we have it cryptozoology the study of things that may exist and i finally on discovery um, I believe I saw a story a little while ago about a couple of guys racing towards uh, a tenth the speed of sound on just a push bike anyone else see this one
3: yeah, no idea. That was pretty crazy.
2: Uh, a tenth the speed of sound. Uh, let's see, three hundred and thirty meters per second, times by sixty, times by sixty, divide by a thousand. That'd be about a hundred and eighteen kilometers per hour, wouldn't
0: it? I believe it's actually one hundred and eighteen point eight.
3: Oh, my bad. Oh, yes, that was terrible, Sam.
0: <laughs> yes, but these guys are—they're—they're they're doing this speed on on a bike. Now it's not just your normal um, Malvin Star. There, they're getting around, and I believe it's a. Um, a highly engineered bike and there's a bit of a, a bit of a race to see who can get to um this, uh 118 k's an hour um uh, because the first person to get there gets the uh the the decimac prize which i believe is about uh us dollars um and they're, they're they're running this race well, it's not actually a race it's just a uh, a race to uh to get the prize, but uh, they got this um, big flat stretch of highway out near Battle Mountain in America, and um, there's a couple of groups involved. But I believe one of the leading groups, and in fact the the the, the group that has posted the uh, the fastest human powered uh, to- uh, speed, um, they're not actually uh, engineers. Oh,
2: that's right. I heard they were actually. A, um, a sculptor.
0: Yes, the guy's a sculptor, and what he's done is instead of um, designing the bike and then um, squeezing a person in there, what he's done is he's found a um, he's found a fairly decent cyclist, and he's designed the uh, the bike around him.
3: No cyclist. He was oh he was pretty short, wasn't he?
0: He was. Yeah. He's uh, I think he's about five seven or something like that. But um, what else is interesting is this guy. Um, they stuck his design inside wind tunnels, and it's it's beaten all the other all the other designs by um by high tech engineers. This guy's just a, just a, an artist, a sculptor, and he's designed his um, bike around the, the human body. Funny enough, he's the only person who uh, stuck a windscreen in his bike. All the other all the other entries have to uh, steer by um, by video. They got little video screens inside their um enclosed, enclosed bikes they have to steer by.
3: Now I just think that steering, using a windscreen, seeing what's coming at you would be, you know, a lot easier, a lot more intuitive than using a video screen. It makes sense to me. Yeah.
0: So there we have it. The race to one-tenth the speed of sound on a push bike. Well, sadly, it's time to say goodbye from all of us here at Team Discovery. If you'd like some more information on any of the stories we featured today, if you think PlaySchool has more science than Channel 10's new show Brainiac, or if you couldn't get onto the John Law show and you just want to tell everybody what's wrong with young people today, you can drop us a line on discovery at 2ser.com. Warming the seats on this week's show were Jackie and Sam, And this week, I threw Discovery together myself out of the cosy studios of 2SER Sydney. We're also broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Matthew Clark, and I expect to see you back here next week for more science news and excitement on Discovery.
1: déjà l'an 2000, déjà 2000 ans, au Manhattan, fast food, Dakar, Sénégal, cinéma, le Paris. Cinéma, le Paris. Il est minuit à Tokyo, il est 5h au Mali, quelle heure est-il Au Paris, il est minuit à Tokyo, il est 5h au Mali, quelle heure est-il Où est la frontière Entre les murs, se faufiler dans l'ascenseur Ascenseur pour le ghetto Au Manhattan, fast food à...